Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. All right, go ahead and get your Bibles and turn them to John chapter 1. Guys, I've been promising you this for a while, and I feel like I tricked you last week, and I apologize. Uh, although I can't even say it's last week. It was this, this week that we were together on Sunday, but uh, it's Saturday night. So anyways, John chapter 1, if you can get your Bibles there. Um, we did start the series called I Am, and it's meant to go through the Gospel of John, and, and we kind of set it up this way, right? So we talked last week about how Jesus is the what of God. He is the image, right? The exact representation of God's nature. And then, and then we talked about how we as human beings are prone to doing what? What do we have the ability to do? Distort images, right? We can, we can distort the images of other people, and we can distort the images of ourselves, and that's usually the root of most sin, right? So uh, abuse and, and pride all rooted in this idea that we're elevating or lowering certain images of people or ourselves. And, and so if Jesus is the image of God, and, and then you and I have the ability to distort images of others and ourselves, then the conclusion that we kind of came to last week was that we've got a pretty good chance of carrying a, a distorted image of Jesus. Not necessarily a fully wrong image of Jesus, but a distorted image of Jesus. One that we've kind of formed with our own hands, maybe an idol that we've made. And, and this series, therefore, is meant to be a way for us to go to Jesus and say, all right, who are you? All right? Like, will you set up the image that I'm supposed to carry of you? Uh, allow you to speak for yourself. I'm not going to let anybody else but you speak for yourself. So, so really, we're going to let Jesus, throughout this series, finish the sentence, I am, right? And we're going to do it using the Gospel of John. Now, just a few rules up front. I'm not going to spend time trying to defend Jesus to anybody. Uh, Jesus can handle himself. I don't feel like I have to defend the dude. He's, he's got it all in, 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 in his own corner. Like, he doesn't need me to defend him. Uh, an, another thing is, I'm not just going to try to teach you about these things, right? Like, there's a difference between teaching you about Jesus and then saying, actually, no, what you know about him are things that you can come and experience in him. So, so this series isn't just going to be knowledge-based, like, come know these things about Jesus. It's, hey, come experience these things in Jesus as he says, I am these things. So, so let me start out by just giving us a, a, some ground rules for what the Gospel of John is, some, some clarity, so to speak, on, on this. And then we'll dive into verses 1 through 3, which is our main text for this evening. Now, uh, the New Testament, I'm going to need some feedback here. The New Testament contains how many Gospels or books about Jesus? Four. Four. Some of you could have been like, trick question, all of them are about Jesus. You would have been right, I would have agreed. Well done, you Bible snob. But four, right? Um, the first three are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And those are theologically or, or scholarly, they're called what? The synoptic gospels, right? And, and if you were to read all three of them, you'd find them to be pretty similar. They, they seem to go chronologically through Jesus' life. They uh, contain a lot of the same narratives and, and teachings of Jesus, so they're together, but then you've got, uh, you've got John, uh, he's, he's doing his own thing, he's like the original hipster, he just kind of does his own thing, and he, he doesn't need any explanation for it, right, he, he does, has his own reasons, now of course it's all under the inspiration of scripture, uh, or the inspiration of the spirit, but, but John, like, he writes things out of 
way out of chronological order. Like, so when you and I think linearly through time, he's like, nope, go here, then here, and then we're gonna bounce back. So, so he doesn't do it always in chronological order. He doesn't include massive parts of Jesus's ministry that the others do, right? They, 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 like, when you get down to it, John really has a purpose, a mission for why he's writing. When you get down to the nitty-gritty of this, the Gospel of John is actually one of the most creative pieces of literature that has ever been written. It's so inspired, so interconnected, so cohesive that, that it's actually renowned both in Christian and in secular arenas that it's one of the, most, it's one of the greatest literary works in history. And so, like, we're going to... What I'm going to do now is I'm actually going to provide you an outline for the Gospel of John, and we're going to find ourselves walking through this. There's only five parts to the Gospel of John if you kind of view it that way. And so let me show you what they are. First is the prologue, right? And that's just verses 1 through 18 of chapter 1. Jesus kind of sets, or John kind of sets Jesus up in some ways and talks about the, uh, the, the John the Baptist, but, but either way, it's just a little prologue. And then we get to Jesus' public ministry, and that starts in chapter 1, verses 19, and goes all the way to chapter 12, verse 50, where Jesus is doing out in the public signs and wonders, and he's teaching. He's teaching to diverse peoples in public audiences, in fact, some people say that this part of John's book is the book of signs, where you see Jesus do signs and wonders. And then we have Jesus' private ministry. His private ministry, where we find it in chapters 13 through 17. And he's spending time with his inner disciples, with his 12 disciples, and he's building them up. He's exhorting them. He's consoling them. He's even praying for them. And then we get to the passion ministry. That's chapters 18 through 20 where, where Jesus is, is betrayed, he's arrested, he's tried, he's condemned, crucified, killed, buried, and then risen from the dead. And then we get to the epilogue in chapter 21 where John kind of wraps up his gospel, all of his thoughts, and he concludes it. Now John does all of this with a very specific Aim. Now, if you didn't get that, I can get it for you later. He does all of this with a very specific intention in mind. And we actually read it last week. It's at the end of the book. John says this, but these signs or these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what John has included in his gospel, all that he's decided to piece together, whether it's out of chronological order or whatever, all that he's pieced together has the intention that we would believe. Now, there's, there's kind of two purposes in that, you could kind of argue. One would be an evangelistic purpose. So, so those who don't originally have faith in Jesus would read this and be like, man, this really is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. So they, they come to believe in Jesus. So it's evangelistic in nature, but it's also edifying in nature. It's for those who already have faith, and it's meant to say, hey, come back to Jesus. Come see him again and again and see your faith built up in him. Experience life only in his name. Isn't that an incredible thing, though? He says, and that by believing in Jesus, you may have what? Life in his name. Life in the name of Jesus. Like, life is found there. Like, it's in his character, it's in his nature, and it's, it's in his existence. So, therefore, because life is truly and only found in the nature and in the character of Jesus, then, then what John presents to us lies at the heart of all that's distinctive, really, in this gospel. 
So this is why often this is the, the book that uh, most people recommend to new believers or skeptical people about Jesus. They say, hey, go read the Gospel of John. Go find out more about who Jesus is there. It's, it's one that I usually recommend as well. It's, it's re- really good because it helps people figure out Jesus. It's evangelistic in nature. So this is why we're going to primarily focus in on Jesus and who he is because that's exactly what John's going after in this Gospel. And the first thing that he does in this book is he establishes exactly who Jesus is. Right from the start. Like he doesn't start off with one of those genealogies that you get bored halfway through because you can't even pronounce half the names. He doesn't start off with the birth story, the nativity story. No, he starts off with this. Let's, let's, let me read it for you. This is the word of God. It says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. This is the word of the Lord. So talk about an entrance, right? Talk about making an entrance into the literary scene. We're going to dive into verses 1 and 2, and then we'll kind of cover verse 3 later. But let's start with this. John starts off with what three words? Go ahead and say them. In the beginning, right? In the beginning. Where else have we heard that? Genesis. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Have you ever gotten the two mixed up? Because I do it all the time. I'm like, yeah, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. No, hold on. That's John 1.1. John 1.1 is, in the beginning, God created the Wait, hold on. And I, I do it all the time. It's ridiculous. But... We see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word. So we have this scene where, where John 1.1 1, 1 and Genesis 1.1 1, 1 are actually interconnected in a very unique way. And the, the evangelist, the apostle John, the author of this, would have been very much aware of Genesis. In fact, what do we see happen in Genesis 1? Let's just keep going with this. What do we see happen in, in the book of Genesis chapter 1? What happens? God creates. He creates everything. And what does God use to do it? Does he have like a divine tool bench where he just assembles humanity with some parts that he's put together? No. He uses his word to make everything. Like, he uses his word all throughout Genesis to create the concept of light and galaxies. And then we see in the beginning here is the word. So when we say God used his word, what we mean is God speaking is his doing, right? God speaking is his doing. Do you and I have the ability, like, do we have that kind of power and authority to to use words to create something out of nothing? Do we have that? Do we possess that? Some of us think we do, right? No. So, for example, right, when uh, my wife and I, uh, we've been married almost 10 years. We're going to be married 10 years this June. And uh, about 10 years ago, we exchanged some wedding vows, and we used what to do to share them? Words, right? We used words to exchange our vows. Was my speaking my vows bringing into the existence the realities promised? No. 
You know, I wish they were. I wish that when I spoke my word, all of a sudden love just magically appeared like out of nothing in me, right? Like, I wish it was so simple. Or, or let, me, let me say this, like um, a few months ago, back in November, uh, my wife was rear-ended um, at a stop sign or a stop thing, and, and everyone was okay. Obviously, you would have heard if something wasn't okay. Um, but when I, I wasn't with them, and when I showed up, I mean, everyone was kind of okay, but the van was just like it had been crushed in from behind and it was pretty gross so so uh could I have uh with my own power and authority just walked up and said hey be fixed and all of a sudden everything that was wrong with that car was made perfectly right no like it's insanity to think that right why is that because inherently we're created beings not creator beings right we're God is the only creator. He's the only one who has the kind of authority and power and wisdom to be able to use words and in those words contain galaxies. Right? He's the only being that can do that. We're created beings. He's creative. He's the creator. Now we can be like him in being creative, but goodness, we're not like him in being creator. You see, God speaks and he can make mountains covered in snow. God speaks and billions of galaxies can flow out of his mouth and trillions of microorganisms at the same time. Guys, God can speak and universes appear. Well, just one, right? And he uses that same word to uphold it, to sustain it, to keep it in place. So really, God speaking is his doing. And his word itself can accomplish what God aims to do. So with all of that in mind, all of that concept in mind, coming back to John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. My goodness, what is God trying to communicate here? What is he speaking to us? Well, the gospel of John is indicating that God is making a new beginning for a broken world. We have Genesis 1.1 where God speaks using his word to create a perfect world that's very good, but then it falls due to the sin of mankind. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and this is, this is the Jesus that was in the beginning. And he is using his word, this word, the word, Jesus, to make a new beginning for a broken world. John's recording God recreating a broken universe. So, so um, how many of you ever read through the book of Ecclesiastes? It's kind of depressing, right? It's pretty, pretty intense. Ecclesiastes 1 starts with the author or the teacher saying that absolutely everything is what? Vanity. Vanity of vanities. All worthless, Right? He says this, this is what he says, nothing is new, everything stays the same. One generation follows another, the sun keeps circling in the same place, the wind goes and comes back again and again, the streams all flow through the same spot, taking the same route day after day. What has been is what will be every day, every week, every month, year, decade, and century, this is the author's complaint in Ecclesiastes. Nothing changes. There's nothing truly new. Therefore, everything is vanity. 
We can't break the cycle. Talk about a, an invitation for God to show up and do something new, huh? Look at what happens. One, one commentator says, on Ecclesiastes, in reference to this, he says, the world is in bondage and humanity is unable to explain, to find satisfaction in, or to alter it. Only the word who came into the world from above can open the way of understanding and escape. He has done a new thing. He has created a new covenant, given the new birth, given new life, and a new commandment. So John 1.1, God is sending out his word to change the current reality of the universe from broken to beautiful, to, from, from futility to fruitfulness, to meaning. And this word, this is Jesus Christ, has the power to recreate and to make a new world out of what's broken. To recreate humanity, to give life in the darkness where there's no hope. So in Jesus, already, in this word, God is making a new beginning for a broken world. Guys, I've got to tell you, I get to sit on the front rows a lot of some of God's greatest works in life. Um, like, I've witnessed firsthand, like, God recreate people caught up in really devastating habits of addiction. And I've, I've seen God take marriages that were on the brink of divorce and recreate and breathe new life into their intimacy and love into the areas of distrust in their marriage. As I've seen firsthand God offer new beginnings to those who have been paralyzed and weighed down by overwhelming guilt and shame and can't ever raise their heads. But guys, all of this has only been really found in the word, Jesus. Because, because only can we find really a new beginning in Jesus. In this word, can we be remade? So Jesus really does offer a new start. He does offer us a new beginning in Christ. And praise the Lord that he does that. All of that from just the first three words of John 1. So imagine how long this is going to take. Okay, In the beginning was just that. Let's keep going. Let's move into the word. Why is Jesus, which we know it's him, referred to as the word? What's the significance there? Do you, do you know what the Greek word is for the word? It's what? Logos. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Logos. It's a fun little Greek word. Guys, the problem with logos is that it, throughout history, or even in the context, it's carried so many different meanings in so many different contexts. It can be very confusing at times to kind of nail down what this is. And, and some of the meanings can really helpfully uh, illustrate what it means, but, but some of them can't. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to say, let's just go to the most general meaning of the word logos. The word logos refers to an inner thought or an outward expression, like speech like what I'm doing now, like a message. So human words relate to their inaudible thoughts the way Jesus relates to an invisible God. You tracking with me? 
My words communicate my inaudible thoughts to you, right? I'm doing that now. The same way the visible Jesus communicates the thoughts and ways of the invisible God. So let me, let me, try, to, let me try to explain this a little bit more deeply. Like, so again, I'll go back to my wife. Uh, again, she's amazing. Um, I love my wife. I know her pretty good. I, I would say, right? I think I would know her pretty well after almost 10 years. Um, some of you have been celebrating at least 20, 25 years, right? Yeah, raise your hand if you're over 25 years. Praise the Lord. Praise God. All right, so for those of you who raised your hands, I do have a question. Husbands, specifically. And I'm pretty sure I already know the answer, but I'm just going to go ahead and ask. Will there ever come a day when we figure out our wives? Okay. Not likely. Like, is there ever going to be a day when we can know, like, her thoughts and her thought processes? No. No. I was... um, Well, okay. So what do we have to do as husbands? If we really want to know, which some of us don't, we try to avoid conversation at all costs, right? Because we just don't want to know what she's thinking. But for those of us who love our wives, we ask, hey, what are you thinking? What's on your mind? How are you feeling about that, right? We've got a a responsibility as husbands to do that. Shoot, even just in friendship we do that, right? We, we allow words to communicate what's going on internally. So, if you're asking questions like, well, hey, what's going on in God's mind right now? What's on, what's on his heart? Like, what is he thinking? Then we have to tune into his word to know it, right? To, to understand it, to get insight into it. So Jesus is meant to be just that. Jesus is God speaking to the world. He is the word, the message from God. Now, that's a bit reductionistic because he's much more than just a message, but he is God speaking. So, so we, we talked about last week, Jesus is the exact difference of God's nature. In Colossians 1.15, we said Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So God is speaking to us in Jesus. So, so where do we need to look if we want to know what's on God's mind? Where? Jesus. We look to Jesus, the word. Where, where do we want to look when, when we want to know what's going on in his heart? We go to Jesus, the word, Right? Jesus is God saying the things that are on his mind and in his heart. So so this is why you and I have to look to Jesus above everything else. This is why we have to tune into the word. And so, guys, guys, we live in a world that is desperately longing for a diagnosis of its condition and a possibility for renewal. We really do. And and there are tons of voices out there shouting really loud different words that promise to alleviate the struggle of life or the questions that trouble us. And boy, are they misleading. 
But here we find that there's a voice that's shouting a better word, a louder word, a higher word, a more excellent word. It's not just speaking a message of hope, but he is the message that is the only hope for any kind of satisfying life. In other words, Jesus is God speaking. He's God shouting to us, hey, this way, this way to redemption, this way to salvation, this way to life, this way to joy and satisfaction and love and forgiveness and healing and everything that really means something in this world. It's this way to beauty. Guys, too often we allow our circumstances to interpret God's heart towards us. Um, we allow our surrounding circumstances to be uh, what we use to, to try to understand what God's doing. To try to understand what's in God's heart and on his mind. So, so some of the ways that might look is, hey, man, I am suffering a really deep loss. So that must mean that, that God has forgotten about me or he doesn't love me anymore. Or, or you could do the exact opposite of that and you could say, man, God's really turning up the heat in my life. He must really think I'm worth something. He must, he must really think I'm, I'm the bee's knees. I can handle it on my own, right? Man, talk about two polar opposites, right? But, but either way, you're allowing your circumstances to interpret God. Guys, Scripture never tells us to come to know and experience God by our situations, by our circumstances. No, it invites us to Jesus in the midst of all of our circumstances. There's a huge difference because Jesus is the word that lets us into the heart and mind of God, not just our circumstances. So that, that's, that's, in the beginning was the word. How many other words that was? Let's keep pressing into verse one. Because Jesus is the word who was in the beginning. The word was with God and the word what? Was God. Or more literally, God was the word. So that's why, that's why this word here, as opposed to what all the other uh, people in the world are offering and speaking and shouting to us. That's why this word is so much better because it was before anything else was. It's the eternal word. In fact, this is saying that you can, you can take your imagination and stretch it as far backward as you can and you'll never come across a moment when the word wasn't in existence. In fact, this, this word didn't even come into being. It, there was never a point where this word out of nothing came into something, came into existence. No, no. Whatever we can say about God, we must say about this word. In fact, one of the cool things about this is when we talk about the word being with God, not just being God, but being with God, the Greek word with suggests a person is with a person. Just like I am with you guys tonight. Your people, I'm a person, I think, and we're with one another tonight. The same way this says this word was with God, implying a personable relationship, which means John is already confirming that the word is a person that is distinguishable from God and at the same time enjoying a personal relationship with God. So he also confirms that this word 
is God. Not that it's, the word is this entire Godhead, but that the, the divinity that belongs to the rest of the Godhead also belongs to this word. Talk about confusing, right? And just to be sure that we, we get this, the Apostle John decides, hey, let me just repeat that back to you for a second. Playback, verse two, he was with God in the beginning. But notice how he uses the word he in reference to the word. Confirmation yet again that the word is a person, not just a concept. So already, we're getting massive insight into what we know as the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The Spirit's gonna show up in a little bit, but that's for another day. Let's go into verse three. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So it may be more helpful for you to read it or hear it like this. All things were made by him, the word. And what was made was in no way made without him. All right, so, so this is a huge claim because it separates Jesus from creation. So a, a creature that came into being is a part of creation, but it places Jesus or this word into an entirely different category. So that category is this, Jesus is uncreated. As simple as this sounds, can we read this together? One, two, three. Jesus is uncreated. So guys, he exists without having been created or come into existence. Like, like you and I, we, we came into existence the moment we were conceived. Before that, we were just on God's mind. Not Jesus. Uh, Colossians 1.17 says that Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. So what I want to do right now is I actually want to show you a quick tool, all right? This is something that, that you can do evangelistically. Like, let's say you're talking to somebody who's kind of skeptical of the person of Jesus. They kind of have a, a, an agreement that the Bible is a significant textbook, that it's worth reading. And, and so let's, let me show you a little bit of a tool that you can use to help people understand this concept. You can use a napkin if you're at a restaurant. It's so easy. Let me show you this. First thing you want to do is set up a table like this. Title it, Everything That Exists, because you and I both know that we exist, right? I think, right? Yeah, that hurt. Anyways, everything that exists. Under that category, there are things that never came into being, and then there are things that did come into being, right? Two different concepts. So, Set up this table for your friend or whoever you're talking to if you want to help them understand the person and nature of Jesus and, and say, okay, what then goes into this box on the left? What are some things that never came into being? Now, if they say, well, uh, my hopes and dreams, uh, you need to have a different conversation on a different day because uh, they've got some issues with their life. Uh, if they say, God, great, that's right. All things that never came into being. God, yeah, we would agree. God never came into being. He was always in existence before time, right? Then we would probably find it helpful to write in the right box, all things that came into being, all created things. Pretty simple, right? Makes sense. All things that came into being, all created things came into being. Well, then, John 1, 3 says that all things came into being through Jesus. So then do that. 
Put a little arrow down at the bottom and then point to John 3 and say, hey, all created things came into existence through Jesus. Ha! So you've got them. You've got them at this point. Which box then does Jesus fit in? Does Jesus fit in the box that says all things that came into being? Well, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, would say yes, he came into a being. He's not an eternal person. But John 1.3 says all things that came into being came into their being through Jesus. So then which box does Jesus need to fit in? What's the answer? The left one. All things that never came into being, Jesus must fit there. Everything owes its existence to Jesus that has been created, that has come into existence. Therefore, he must have existed before all things, before they even came into existence. Right? Like that big emoji with your heads exploding. Guys, Jesus is really uncreated, meaning there was never a point where he came into existence. There was a moment where he stepped into our world, but boy, has he existed from eternity past. But that's not all this verse is getting at. It also says that Jesus is the what? The creator. Jesus is the creator. In other words, Jesus is the uncreated, creating word. Hebrews 1 says that God created the world through Jesus and upholds the world by Jesus. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Does that say some things? No, what does it say? All things. It says all things were created by him and for him. As Jesus is the creator. Do you feel the weight of that? Can you? Can, you just, can we pause and wrap up our evening on that? Jesus made all things. This is how I want us to close out our time together. Guys, in the last few years, uh, we've bore witness to some of the most advanced technological innovations ever, Right? Um, what are some of the things that you think, shout out some of the things that have been most advanced uh, innovations recently. iPhones, yep, pretty crazy. More technologically advanced than the what? The uh, Apollo 13? Crazy. In your pocket. What else? Vehicles, yep. Now they've got computers and, and they can read your heart rate and they can keep you on the road, which some people don't like. I don't like it, honestly. I was driving one the other day, it's annoying. Always beeping at me. Guys, have you, have, have you seen the, the rockets that go into space and then they can come back down? Like NASA doesn't have to go play Go Fish in the Big Blue Sea anymore to go get them. They just land on their own. Guys, we've seen some of the most advanced pieces of technology innovated in the last few years. And you know what? When people innovate technology, you, usually it's always in, uh, in the realm of purpose. It's to address something. And so when they innovate, they create something for a specific purpose in mind. So for example, you guys are sitting on technology right now. I'm not talking about the iPhone that's in your butt pocket. I'm talking about your chair, your pew, right? That is a piece of technology 
They designed it to do what? To, to hold you up so that your legs didn't have to for so long, right? Whoever designed these rockets to go into space and then come back down, they made it so that civilian uh, space travel could become a thing. And I can't wait, honestly. I'm going to be sending one of y'all up for fun, right? Hey, go, <laughs> go fly, right? It's going to be a blast. Creators determine the purpose of a creation. That's just general rule of thumb. Somebody designed this and it was made for a purpose to help me present, right? Somebody designed this and made it for the purpose to do this, right? Somebody designed this, right? Creators determine the purpose of a creation. So, if we were made by Jesus then what does that mean? That Jesus gets to determine our purpose. That Jesus has determined our purpose. Jesus makes us and instills within us a purpose. And you know what it is? Colossians 1.16 said it. We read it just a little bit ago. I'm gonna make it big and bold so you can see it. All things were created, what? By Jesus for Jesus. Made by Jesus for Jesus. Not made in China, like everything else on Amazon. Made by Jesus for Jesus. Our purpose is who? Jesus. Right? So, like, if, 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 if you and I were to get down to the very essence and the fabric of our existence, deep, 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 down far below any microscopes could go, you would find inscribed on your soul the initials made by JC for JC on every human being, on every person made by JC for JC. And yet you and I, we, we wonder we wonder why when we live for other things, it isn't really satisfying. Right? Like, like, you know what? Because we weren't made by those things for those things. Right? So I, as much as some people might think a, a pastor uh, has a job there, they were made by the people for the people. No, I was not made by my job for my job. Right? Uh, as much as I love my wife and as much as I want to give everything to her that she wants, my wife did not make me for her. She did not create me to exist for her. In other words, she can't be what I most deeply need. She wasn't made for that purpose. And my goodness, do we find broken marriages when people do believe that. Guys, as much as I delight in my children, like I love my kids, goodness I love them, I wasn't made by them for them. As much as it feels like it may be, I wasn't made by my kids for my kids. Guys, we weren't made by money for money. We weren't made by sex for sex. We weren't made by alcohol for alcohol. We weren't made by success for success. We weren't made by church for church. No, we were made by Jesus for Jesus. Guys, Jesus is our purpose. Jesus is the very reason we exist. So look at me. Only when you and I operate and rest in this as our only and highest purpose will we ever truly find joy and satisfaction. 
This is what this is what Augustine said about this. He said, "You move us to delight in praising you, for you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you." <laughs> because when we realize we've been made by Jesus for Jesus, we'll be living like Jesus for Jesus. So at the end of this all, at the end of John 1, 1 through 3, what do we see Jesus saying, I am? We see Jesus saying, I am the uncreated, creating word. Jesus Christ. Here to make a new beginning. Here to take brokenness and move it into beauty. Here to tune us into the mind and the heart of God. Here to be an eternal word to live by. Here to tell you that I made you for me. So come find satisfaction in the original purpose for why I made you. The uncreated, creating word. So guys, I've given invitations throughout the evening tonight, throughout this message, invitations to experience a new beginning, invitations to, to come find your purpose in Jesus, in this word of God. And I, I can't do that for you. But goodness is Jesus calling out and saying, hey, come. I am the word. So I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us as we wrap up. Heavenly Father, um, goodness, would life be so meaningless and empty if you didn't give us your word? If you didn't send your word into the world to tune us into your heart, to tune us into your mind, and, and to create something new out of what was broken that we had messed up. Sending your word to allow us to be reminded again that we were made by a creator for the creator, Jesus. God, I pray for those of us in here who, who needed to hear whatever part of the word was tonight. Maybe something pricked them specifically. God, either way, we thank you for your word and we pray that we would live according to your word, that we would live with the fact that deep inscribed in our souls is that we've been made by Jesus for Jesus because he is the word who was in the beginning with you, who made all things. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.